You are listening to Is There an Echo in Here? A podcast about Echo and the Bunnymen. Basically, I don't know how people get so much done in life. People, they don't. I mean, they do. They're like, oh, they have a business. Oh, they yeah. have kids. They're like running this and volunteering. And I, I mean, I can barely make it. My life is like laundry and some dishes and a litter box. <laughs> and like, and then there's appointments and then I have daughter and then... And then so I took on this art project. I'm just doing like a little art show with like friends. It's like a group show. But that just cut out all of my um, time, creative time. That's my extra time. Podcast time. I know. And trust me. And I, I got would, busy too. I was doing stuff. I would much it. rather be doing the podcast than making art. But anyway, what were you saying? Oh, nothing. <laughs> I was... Uh, you were on tour. I went on tour a bunch. A little, little Midwestern swing, a little East Coast run. Yeah. Uh, played some festivals and and uh, it's been just I just so busy. Did, like lots of guitar students and stuff like that. And then, you know, and then parenting. Somehow I'm doing litter box and feeding animals and kids and washing dishes <laughs> and doing laundry too. What the hell? That's, that's I know a, we should divide the labor, but it feels it just feels so endless. Maybe some people like hire help for that shit or something. Yeah, maybe they have dry a dryer, and that's why they get we don't so have much a dryer. stuff. No, the dryer doesn't help, though. <laughs> no, it doesn't help. I have a theory generally about labor-saving devices is that they just make things take longer. Like they make dishwashers. you more sedentary. They don't even save labor, though. No, you're it's still like, unloading the thing. Anyway, um, happy birthday, Ian McCulloch. It's your birthday. Happy birthday, my man. Yeah. we find, I was like, we got to get it out. On his birthday, or a little before. So here it is. It's a weird episode. It's like, it's weird. It's different from our other ones. It is literally me just babbling about Ian up and down. I definitely was not stoned. It definitely wasn't late at night in the middle of winter. Because we have a bunch of episodes recorded. This was recorded, like, I think on my birthday in oh, January. Yeah, in January. So, like, I'm cold. Which is it. also my birthday. I think we refer to it as episode eight a couple of times because it was supposed to be. We have all these We have all these episodes done, but we just got to edit them. But we did do a special guest appearance on uh, the life-changing podcast, The Holy Hour, which is all about the cure. Oh, yeah, check that out. Which I'm going to talk about at length another time. But but you can go listen to our segment on, yeah. on The Holy Hour's podcast, 30-year anniversary of disintegration. disintegration. But you're going to want to listen to every single episode, well, listen like to, me. Listen to all 102 episodes of their podcast. comes out regularly. Unlike, there's another people, like they have kids too, and they're coming out regularly with this podcast. So I don't know. I don't know. And it's about the cure, which what could be more uh, of a pain in the ass than that with all... 72 members and 300 songs and whatever yeah so shout out to you guys we'll we'll be talking with them i hope and more about them we're gonna cross pollinate with that podcast who they happen to live in Asheville, north carolina where they we live happen which to is live. they're the only very strange there's some people in australia they're the only other podcast that i know of that's about uh a band and it happens to be my actual favorite band from childhood I mean, I know a lot more about The Cure than I do Echo and the Bunnymen, frankly. Uh, yeah, anyway. We're, you know, happy birthday, Ian. <laughs> and There's other band podcasts, though. I don't, I can't find I think them. The, yeah. yeah, let's look at, I'm sure Fish has like a million. I know there's a Mertzbau podcast. And Zappa probably has one. Anyway, enjoy the episode, y'all. <laughs> This is the point in the in the podcast where we really start slowing down. We've been going too fast. 
We're about to be, this is episode eight. Yeah. And we have not even got to the first album yet. Oh my God, we're not even close. The band is not complete. They haven't met each other. So that's why, let's let's get back on. Okay. All right, we're going to slow it down. Slow it down. But don't you wonder (laughs) what Ian and Les and Will are up to? That's why I'm here at this point. (laughs) I miss them. I know what. Uh, Will's up to because <laughs> he's always putting his records on Instagram and stuff. Yeah, so you know what he's like so sitting around listening. He's to. like dusting off copies of like Sex Pistols and like Jethro Tull and. Oh like, yeah, but know. we're pre we're pre that we're like fifteen sixteen. Oh, I know. I just mean I know. Oh, I see. I know what he's up to on Instagram <laughs> today, as opposed to not in the timeline of the tale we are spinning. But well, I'm but sorry, you- I got yes. Space Junk Radio on Instagram. Yeah, Will follow it. I mean, it's like his Instagram. It is. He's doing it. <laughs> I like his stuff, and I wonder, does he know, and you know who what? I am and what I'm doing <laughs> to his life, at, at his life right now? <laughs> does he know what I'm doing at him? So when we left these guys, they were having their lives planned out for them, Right. And so let's do a little update. So Will is going to be a fry cook. Okay. That's kind of by default. It wasn't really chosen by the guidance counselor. He was supposed to go be a welder. Did not pass that exam. So the fry cook is the default, you know. That's where he's at. We're kindred spirits, me and him. Yes, you are in so many ways. I've done some time as a fry cook. That's all I got to say. Yeah. In many a restaurant. I don't think he did as nearly as long as you. Oh, yeah. Early early girl eatery. (laughs) I thought of a lot more since we did the episode where I talked about all the jobs I worked at. Bad scene. What was the deal? Like in, in, (laughs) in England, do they really plan their lives out for them more than here? And, and, earlier age because they're not 17 yet or they're just 17 they graduate when they're it might be more explicit because they have a more mixed economy oh okay do you know what i mean no like here your life is really playing out for you in a way but it's you can be anything you want to be here they say that anything yeah you just dream it and you can do it yeah Yeah, you work hard though you gotta work hard you gotta you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps man you can can be the president of the united states that's right you can be the governor of california you can be mccullough if you want to you can be a goddamn ceo of enron (laughs) so yeah so and then mixed economy the mixed economy might be like then you have more structure you know what a structure? What do you mean? Because so, there's more socialized things like school and medicine are and not mixed economy. And, oh, mixed and, with socialism. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's not. Yeah, yeah. that's a mixed that's economy. What, that's kind of what we want, right? That's what we want here. That's what we want now. here. Yes. But, so, uh, so okay. So, Will's a fry cook. <laughs> okay. Less. Remember what less is? Is more. <laughs> less Pattinson. Okay. Will pilot. Sergeant. Is he a pilot? Pat- no. Nope. Oh, he became one later. He That's became somebody, one later. Who told us that? Someone told Bill. me that. Hey, Bill. Bill Conley on Bill Facebook. Bill Conley. Not, not told listening. Told us that. Right. Yeah. So Les, you, you don't remember what he did for a living? Think about what he did. Scientist. Nope. I don't know. He did do well in physics. I forgot. A welder? He did better in, in school. That was Will. Was he, worked to, uh, he worked on boats. He worked on boats. That's right. He worked on boats. And that's his job. Now, what's Ian supposed to do? Be an artist. He's, <laughs> He's just supposed to not be... cut out for anything else. Oh, no, he. That's. <laughs> this is for real. His parents an planned for him. His parents were like, "Oh, I don't know, man. Draw, draw some. Draw <laughs> like he drew David Bowie. He was the kid you would crowd." Do around. we have evidence of Ian's drawings somewhere? That is what I am saying. That's okay. okay that's our first call out of the night. Where are his drawings? Where are they? Let's see them. Let's see it. Let's see it. Bust out that sketchbook, bro, and show us your drawings. All right. Ian McCulloch. People will be so stoked. I know. I can name some people that would be excited to see them. I mean, he'd be able to pull in some dough. That'd be a real cottage industry for him, too, as I mean, Ian a lot McCulloch. Of art, a lot of uh, rock stars do it. Yeah. John Cougar Mellencamp, Captain Beefheart. Uh, who are the other artists? Uh I just ran across one the other day. I was like, oh, yeah, you're an artist, too. Michael Kelly was an artist first. I don't know if he counts. Let's see. Uh, 
I know a guy <laughs> who does drawings. And uh, all right, so Ian, he shows some promise uh, in in drawing, right? But that is kind of it, okay? As we said, he's just going to be a pub crawler. He's going to be. He could be a pub crawler, you know. I mean, he he doesn't seem worried about. I mean, he knows he's destined for this thing, this stardom, but he. He does seem really worried about his appearance. And I would say he puts a lot of energy during these, you know, in-between years where we left him thinking very, very carefully about his appearance. Yeah. Now, as we've said, he's nearsighted right. to the point of blindness. He can't see. He won't wear glasses because he doesn't like the way they look. He can't get out of bed in the morning. Okay, he sleeps a lot. I think that's because he's expending a lot of energy managing symptoms that he will later describe as obsessive-compulsive rituals. So, okay, so he. this is another thing is like he's, he's very concerned with his appearance, and I just can't even tell you. <laughs> I can't even tell you how much he is. Yeah. Um, there's a story that will come up later where Will, like, I think he brings him in to visit his parents, and he's like, they they come by the house to get something, uh-huh. and he's like, I gotta go upstairs, or I gotta run to the bathroom. He runs to the bathroom, and he is gone, and has like washed his hair and stuff. So, um, you know, I, so I don't really know why he's so fixated on his appearance, but I think it partially has to do look in the mirror with he the looks, fact he looks in the mirror, he likes what he sees. I would too. Damn, what the hell? <laughs> All right, you know what? You just simplified <laughs> this whole kind of thing for me. This, you're right. I mean, and it's weird talking about his appearance. Like I saw him for the first time a year ago. Like I didn't know what he looked like until a year ago. What are you talking about? That's right. I didn't. I had I had seen like three pictures of him. Of the cover of self-titled. Right. And a few, maybe, there was a poster I may have seen somewhere. I never remember seeing their videos. And then you started kind of like digging around. A year ago, I like watched Rock Palace. And so, and I'd always like looking at his face, I couldn't really figure out what it was doing, you know? And then you always see the silhouettes of them. Right. But when I finally saw him and I saw his face move, I was like, oh, like he's incredibly expressive. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of... uh, I want to say like vagal tone when he is engaged it's kind of overwhelming and I feel like he had to dampen that some. Now we'll talk about the polyvagal theory of uh Stephen Porges a whole lot later. Okay. But okay. I just think he All I right. want to just say that he has such an expressive face. Yeah. And a really expressive face can is is like a, a wonderful a wonderful tool for a mammal to be able to you know communicate with other animals. It can around be a them. real curse too, but it can be a curse in our messed up society where we don't value cooperation, and it can be a real curse to have a like a sensitive yeah face that or a face that's expressive. For example, my face mm-hmm. sort of betrays me sometimes. I'm getting better at this, but let's say someone's. Oh, you're right. Maybe someone. Maybe about. someone's like annoying to me, and I don't want to convey my displeasure. Uh-huh. But my face just does it, you know. Yeah. And then they, and then people get their feelings hurt. Yeah. And uh, and so, but I think I've gotten better at sort of like. Maybe that's a problem for him too. That when he when he he doesn't know how strong. He is and how strong he comes off. Yeah, he, it gets like scary. Like people are yeah, like, oh scary. shit. So, or like this guy's like an asshole or he's really like, being, or he's like being really critical of me or he's like, or he's mad at me or something like that, you know? And so. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you know what I'm talking about with him though? It's like, you'll see him dance, stand like stone still in a concert. But then when the song's over, you'll see him like smile or something. And his face is just like. Yeah, a child. yeah, I do a child. Yeah, like a little boy on Christmas. Yeah, and for you sure. had a really interesting observation about his appearance. Do you remember what it was? That he wanted to be that dark, brooding kind of person, singer, like that mannish, t- tough figure, like Jim Morrison or Lou Reed. Mm-hmm. But he was or Iggy, but, or, or Iggy Pop or something. But he was like too. <clears throat> 
boyish in the face mm-hmm. to, to really pull that off effectively when Just he so was sweet. when he was younger. Even yeah. though the music was really strong and like the, you know the singing's there, and, and he pulled it off. I mean, it wasn't like oh yeah, yeah. Like, but, but but still, even when I see him, I'm just like this guy's just he's just like a pretty boy, you know. Yeah. He could be in Duran Duran or something, you know. It's not. Yeah. You, you know, and he wants this, but he wants, and then, but now that he's older, he's grown into that. Right. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Did I say that in real life? Have I already said that in podcast? You came down from up from. It was breakfast, and you came down, and you said, I... I thought of this. You did. You were like, and I was like, don't tell me anything about it unless the tape's rolling. And you were like, but... But and I was like, no, stop. And, you were, and then you just said it really fast. Yeah. And I said, no. And I said, but I'm not going to... I'll remember to say it again later. We'll do it again. I really have to get this off my chest. I've been thinking so much about Ian McCulloch's <laughs> posturing as a tough guy, and he just looks so boyish. And Lou Reed and Jim Morrison were just like kind of, they had a more chiseled, rugged look to them when they were younger. Yeah, and I don't think he looks boyish. I think he looks like a... Girlish. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, just like a... An angel, like angelic. Angelic. Yeah. Cherubic. Yeah. Cherubic. So he had to work really hard, you know, having that Scouse accent, like hanging out at the old man bar and, oh, and just like smoking. And Well, that's the other thing, though. Then he's like scary because here's this like cherubic. That's what that's. Little, okay. Then you're like, oh, I got I to gotta go <laughs> when he turns on the. Scary. Yeah, the scary. Scary yeah. Ian. Because you've Cause seen that one interview. this man will talk some shit, and this man will just turn on you. I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying he will turn on you. Does, we're doing a little foreshadowing. Not forever. Not forever, just, just in a conversation. Yeah, yeah, you'll just be like, oh, shit. I'm scared now. <laughs> so what am I saying? I'm saying he's got an expressive face, okay? It's responsive. He's Yes. He's responsive to things with his face. <laughs> And his voice. Well, yeah. Okay. And so, so he's a sensitive guy. Let's talk about the world the sensitive artist guy is living in. Okay. Now, on a real macro level, we've got, we've got the postmodern era, right? In the 70s. Like a post-colonial, post-World War II, right? Post-industrial. Yeah that still has these real authoritative structures. And if we want to narrow the focus to England, yeah, you know, he was born after the war. And can I just speak off the cuff about England? Is it like, like, like Manchester ghouls, belligerent? Oh, that's not what it is. Belligerent fools run Manchester schools. A lot of my conception of England itself is kind of like, based on the smiths <laughs> and like and then because morrissey himself is such a belligerent asshole yeah yeah i mean yeah and then somehow also rebellious against i mean all i know of you know the world is my experience here in america but i feel like we've taken you know they they kind of came first they kind of set the tone in terms of like right yeah they colonized the world and then they had to kind of <laughs> retract yep and then they almost were destroyed during world war ii and i was just reading lol tallhurst um book about the cure and he was saying like even in the 70s they the bars would close at 10 30 yeah so and it was like this this holdover from the war when people had to go to the factories and like get to work the next day so they wanted the bars to close super early so that they can go and like bust out some machinery to aid in the the war effort Isn't that interesting whoa wait how old is he same age pretty much same age as ian i think a little younger like a year younger mm. so he's living in this this world and i think about when i think about england i think about corporal punishment and bullying and a real hard edge the work ethic i mean i think of all the things that are in place in america today and i always think it's related somehow. I think about Orwell. Yeah. And I think about his kind of critique of, of power and kind of just the arbitrary sort of kind of nature of political power and, and how evil wins and uh, 
you know, it doesn't matter how good you are. And like, if you're sensitive, tough shit, you know, I'm going to like, like just, if you think about not just 1984, but in, uh, Burmese days, particularly, I think about like when, uh, the story of him, uh, being an officer in, in, uh, in Burma and, you know, in one of the colonies and just, just the corruption and kind of like sort of the nonsensical hierarchical structures. Yeah, it's totally and inhumane. And like, mm-hmm. and like, like if you're sensitive at all, mm-hmm. it's so painful and horrifying. But they're not, and so it's just funny <laughs> or just like, just whatever. Par for the were, course. They were, but it gets kind of beaten out of them. Right. Well, that's the, the thing. Life but force. It, it's just a sur- surrender to it, though. Like, um, yeah. And also, it's the same thing too. Like his whole attitude about. When he was in Spain too, Orwell was when he was in the Spanish Civil War. This idea of like, you know, just the way they dealt with trench warfare. With totally. this kind of det- there's a kind of detached, detachedness, detached <laughs> humor about being shot at. You know, yeah. and about you know, and if you think about that, but if you were, yeah, if you were, war, if you didn't have the sensitivity beaten out of you, then, you know, you wouldn't be able to survive. survive. Yeah. Okay, and that's what like a lot of these artists are up against, and um, how they survive. I'm not sure. I mean, of course, Ian has a lot of privilege, you know, in that he has food on the table and he's a white guy. But and he's easy on the eyes. And he's easy on the eyes, you know, and like so. But nonetheless, like this is the world he's living in. So we established that, you know, here at the beginning. Or if you just think about like. Hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. Welcome to the machine. Yeah, there you go. That really says it all. Yeah. I mean, I love British culture. I got an ancestry test, or my mom did, and we're like 99% British. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's really exciting. We were thrilled. Right. Because, you know, we're getting a sense of like, who this character is, and this is his module that he's living in, okay? Let me yeah. lay it down, okay? His module? Yeah, I'm talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, we are talking Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. I was like, like... I'm talking about characters. I'm talking about rolling high yeah, yeah. on charisma. Gotcha. Right? I'm saying I think he's a halfling bard. Okay. With some kind of magical yeah. properties. Halfling, I mean, I just think there's something With like a like 20 spe- charisma? 20 charisma, 21. Like, I mean, can you yeah. get beyond 20? I feel like I had... But like low dexterity... Through. No, I would say high dexterity. high dexterity. I was watching him play guitar, acoustic yeah. guitar, at this festival two years ago, and yeah. I am hooked. I'm watching it constantly. No, I'd say high dexterity. Okay, high intelligence. High intelligence. Chaotic neutral. No, I would say chaotic good. Chaotic good. Well, yeah. 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 Wow. Well, so what? Do no, you... I don't know. He's on the cusp. Can, is there a cusp? Do you roll for your percentages with uh, orientation? I mean, yeah. If you want to. Really split hairs, you know. If you want to get into like a more uh, nuanced. What else do we have? Strength. I would say that's kind of like, you know. I mean, I mean. How tall is he? You you met I him. He was tall. He was um. I think I look uh, not that much taller than you guys though. So he's shorter than me. He's like I think he's like six one. I think that no was really way, tall in the eighties. He is. He's breaking six feet, and so they talk How about tall? with his hair. He would be like six five. No. <laughs> six, okay. Y'all at home, look it up. Y'all peoples. <laughs> Y'all people out there. So high charisma, right? Yeah. And so we talk about his charisma, and it's really pretty obnoxious because, like, we've people. There are people all over the world. We all know people with this kind of magical essence and a light. I feel like there's several per community. Yeah. He's not special. He's just got it. The look. But not the look, I'm saying. Like no, the, but the aura. The whole thing. The, yes, the, the glimmering aura. There's, there's such a thing as a soul, Shane. It is a real thing that we're going to talk about on the show. The soul. The soul. Of, and this is when we start wading into the metaphysical realm with, uh, you know, with Bill Drummond and all of the... There's, there's a... A from different strokes, poetic element. Bill to Drummond this from man. Bill Drummond from different strokes. <laughs> no. Isn't it the father's name on different strokes? Oh my God! Is it? 
Now the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. We're going to get into that. Okay. You, you ready? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get into some of the correlations between different strokes. Echo and the Bunny Man, right? Are you serious? <laughs> so, yeah, we're getting into that, that whole realm. But just to keep it simple for now, when I'm talking about a person's soul, it is their ability to feel feelings, to feel empathy, to develop relationships with other people, right? Yeah. It's a part of <laughs> changes that a big old glass of water. <laughs> we like <Right>? empathy. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Talking mm. about the real things. Okay, and so let's just say that when I say soul, I'm talking about the feeling part of a person, okay? And I use the word because everyone knows it, because like soul music and stuff, I want your soul... I need your soul. You know, everybody knows that soul. A deeper shade of soul. (laughs) Oh, yep. Is that I'm talking about the inner child. I got soul. I'm super bad. Exactly. You know, the psyche, the part of ourselves that is uh, untouched and innocent. And this is the part, this is the place within us from which art is created, right? Yes. Where we're connected to the source. You could even talk about like a... You know, brain state, an integrated brain of pure receptivity. Yes, I mean this is the this is a part of a person and sensitive people. You know, we look to them to give voice to the world, our pain, our sorrow. Totally. And this is the part of the artist that is in danger of being destroyed by either their family of origin, larger society, or certainly. The music business. Well, if you think about the blues. Welcome to the machine. What, what are the blues? What is the blues? <laughs> what, what is the blues? Were. Are the blues? <laughs> Was. Is. It's sad music about sad stuff that makes you feel good. Feelings. Now, listen. I just want to tell everyone that I'm a good bit taller than Courtney and... <laughs> We only have one microphone and a mic stand. And do you need a step stool? <laughs> I'm like on my toes. She's like on her tippy toes. Bending it's down. either I'm hunching. It's like this middle ground where I'm hunching and she's like on her tippy toes. It's not working. Um, <laughs> we need more gear. We do. So soul. Okay. And this is why, I mean, this is the kind of the, the theme of, of, you know, Echo In Here podcast is like. Soul. This is why we watch rockumentaries and behind the music. It's so, about these people. I mean, this is why you even watch like a Motley Crue behind the music. No. <laughs> it's like a person. Well, at one point they oh, yeah, were children yeah. too. That's true. Everyone was a baby once. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had their chance. But you're watching, you know, this, these spirited young men <laughs> get taken down. And will they survive? Yeah. And what adaptations do they uh, acquire in order to survive the machine, in order to keep their souls intact? It's either you split off, you know, into an addictive realm or you just become a straight up sociopath. You know, there's yeah. there's all sorts of things that can happen. And and we love to watch this story unfold. It's you know, the we, human drama. It's, and it's, well, the, it's the story of everything. And we treat artists a particular way in our culture. And they're up against a lot. And I think we like to see that reflected because I, it was done to all of us to some extent. It's Dorian Gray, another British uh, story. Of Ooh, that's very applicable to Ian McCulloch and everything. This idea, oh, because he's like really beautiful on the outside, but yeah. tormented internally. Yeah. Yeah. Oscar Wilde. Yeah. Wrote that. Yes, he did. Shout out to Oscar. Shout out to Oscar Wilde. <laughs> Now, Ian, I think, is aware of the sort of the hypocrisy and the hierarchy that's in place in the society around him, and he tries to address it. But one of the things he's going to need to do is uh, figure it out, (laughs) figure out what he's going to do. What's this dreamy emo guy going to do? But did he want to be a singer? Didn't he want to be a singer? That's all he wanted. But I think he wondered... Like, How could he quite? do it? I think he must have. Yeah, it's well, kind of like just being handed a destiny, just being gifted and without sight and dropped by a river in a town and, you know, with this destiny. He's got this destiny. So the thing that young Ian is going to need is a rite of passage. Everyone needs one of these. It's something that is lacking in our culture, this idea of an initiation, 
And of course, this is a very Jungian band. Some bands are like uh, Freudian, I would say, Joy Division. And some bands are Lacanian. Yes, like you. Guns and Roses. <laughs> yeah. But this is a, a kind of Jungian band. Carl Jung talks about Liverpool. He has a dream about it. Huh. He's never been there. Oh, wow. There's many connections. Interesting. But um, the idea of the initiation is present in many cultures throughout the world and throughout history. We have evidence of that. And Ian is going to undergo an initiation of sorts. And I'm going to tell you about it. Okay? Yeah. I'm going to tell you from memory. Okay. I've heard this story many times. I've heard him tell this story on this really great interview. And then I'll have to now reference and look up. Maybe we'll play a clip of it because you can't understand one word he's saying. No. Nope. But I've watched it many times now. And he's also, the sound quality is not great. And so I've watched it many times, so I kind of understand what he's saying now. Okay. But anyway, um, I know this story. So I'm just going to bust out with it, right? He crawled through some poison ivy, and uh, they like whipped his penis to like to a bloody pulp, and then he like tied him to a stake while ants like crawled up and like, like bit him all over, and then so that he would know the pain of childbirth, and then uh, and then he would be able to fully um, enter the world as a man who can experience empathy for pain, and then be a helpful, uh, upright individual in his. Um, day-to-day interactions and as a part of society congratulations ian on a life well lived uh and um a soul intact yeah okay okay well you got it all you you got everything correct that was brilliant you have really listened to me (laughs) talk a lot (laughs) and i couldn't have said it better myself except the part about the poison ivy the whipping of the penis into a bloody pulp, as you said, the fire ants, mm. none of that took place. But what Ian did do uh-huh. is obtain two tickets to see David Bowie oh. in the Thin White Duke tour Okay. in London. All right. In, I have the... I was I have, close. Yeah. I was close. Yep. In the Wembley Empire Pool. To see Bowie on the Thin White Duke tour, okay? Oh, right. So. That must have been really painful for him. (laughs) It's interesting. It's a mixture. It's a real um, ecstasy and agony, a story Mm. of ecstasy and agony. Because he was expecting so much and it was like, okay. Well, okay, let me tell you. All right, tell me about this. All right, (laughs) all right. Um, But, okay, so he he has a plan to meet his half-brother, Remember, his mother has two sons from a previous marriage. Okay. And he's going to meet one of them at the station. Okay? I'm not going to drone on and on about Ian, what he's up against, but, you know, it's hard for him to leave the house. Can't see. Still is. Can't see. He's a clean freak. Clean freak. <laughs> he's, he's a germaphobe. It's hard to get there. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. You probably could have said that in a more... Uh, I'm sorry. Let's go. Let's roll along here. Listen, so we're talking listen. about what Ian, Ian is managing his symptoms. Yeah, he's and managing that's his, his job. Symptoms. And I, that's his I job. Got it. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ian. Now, no disrespect, Ian. So he has that plan. You know, he needs a plan. He needs to know what to expect. Right. As a guy. Right. He gets to London, All right. and his brother stands him up, ah. and he's terrified. He comes to the city. Now, I've been to London. Have you been to London? I've only been to the London airport. Right. It's a big city. Um, I was never afraid at any point, but I didn't see the whole city, I'm sure, but he, he felt afraid. I mean, have you ever felt afraid in, in Europe at all? They don't have guns. Right. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, the chances, it's such a pain to kill someone without a gun. You have there to was that time that you and I got lost in Amsterdam and we were really stoned and we couldn't, <laughs> like, we had like a map and we were, and the town's very circular and the streets don't make sense. And we just walked. And then we saw this man ever. and he was like, hey, 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 come here. And we kind of, it was weird and we got away yeah. from him. Yeah. He was very in our space. 
and then like two hours later we saw him again i forgot about that in a big circle wow all right Uh, and one time i got into like uh, fisticuffs with a taxi driver in paris on the street (laughs) okay but so he but he feels kind of freaked out being in this big city i mean his city is five hundred thousand people now and probably less than and liverpool yeah yeah it's like atlanta um but he he feels freaked out so he what does he do what would you do stranded in a city unfamiliar city call someone on the phone and who your parents that's what he did he (laughs) called his dad he said dad what do i do i'm stuck in the city i don't know where to go so his dad advised him and what would your mom or dad say the police Call the police. No, I don't know. Uh, what did they say? They said, come home. Go get a hotel room. I once were... got, uh, I was lost in the Moscow subway station. Oh. I was by myself. I got to Russia. Uh-huh. I had to meet some friends of mine from Switzerland. But they were already at this club. And I landed in Moscow from the United States by myself and had to navigate uh, the the metro and all that. And that was I was actually scared in that situation and really because the language has no resemblance to the alphabet to English. Yeah. And uh, I started trying to talk to people and they don't speak English really. And uh, it was really weird. And then this guy that I ran into called his mom on a pay on a pay phone <laughs> to talk to me to give me directions. Aww. Yeah. That's so sweet. Yeah. He was like, let me... Because they don't even have the same letters as us. That's what I'm saying. The alphabet's different. It was like, I'm like trying to find (laughs) shit. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that says. I I literally, I got to customs. I got from the airport to customs. And the woman looked at my passport and my visa. I was going there for a week to go on tour and play avant-garde and free jazz with some Swiss guys. And she looked at me and she looked at my passport and visa. And she said, this is it? And I said, yeah. And she goes, good luck. (laughs) <laughs> and then I and then I was on my own, first to get swarmed by the Russian taxi driver kind of Ooh, like zombie taxi. mob. No, like just like just like hundred guys with mustaches and cigarettes hanging out of their mouth, walking towards you really slowly, going taxi, 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 taxi. You know, which is normal if I needed to. I just don't know what the fuck where I am, what I'm doing. It was crazy. It worked out. But anyway, but that's my. Um, I wasn't going to get a hotel right then and there, but it's different. You're going to have yeah. more opportunities to talk about Russia. I love when you talk about Russia. Russia. Who? Was there for what, 10 days? Yeah. And you're going to... What a wild place that is. Yeah. So he's going to find a room in a guest house. He's going to have a home base to come back to. Now he has, I believe, two tickets to see the, him on two nights, like uh, on a oh, okay. Friday and like a Saturday. Or oh, he's just, they're, they're up, like, just get settled and you'll figure it out. Like, we'll just get a place room. to stay. I, I guess his brother maybe was going to let him stay with him and uh, just never showed. Okay. Yeah. So go, I mean, just get yourself a guest house with yeah. some of the money we gave you. Okay. So you can go see David Bowie. <laughs> this really is an odyssey. This really is an initiation story. Is. Yeah. Whoa, dude. <laughs> whoa. So... He gets the the room. How, how old is he? I'm sorry, 16? 17. 17, okay. At this point. Mm-hmm. This is like his big graduation. That's the perfect time for an initiation. All right. So he gets the room, and he gets the key, and he walks into it, and the room is gross. The room Uh-oh. is subpar. The room is depressing. Mm. The room. Yeah, not up to standards. Not not up to par. <sighs> so he leaves that room. Yeah. I think having paid for it, maybe he gets his money back. And is like, okay, I'll go to the show. I'll sell my other ticket and I'll get a bus ride home. Okay. Yeah, I know. I, I, we'll, we'll see what we think of this whole adventure afterwards. But I thought that was an interesting choice. This was a really important event in his life. He goes to the show, and it's incredible. There's like a laser light show. We should watch a clip of it. Okay. Um, and it was just beyond his wildest expectations, you know, a religious event. He's alone, too. But I, I kind of like being at a show alone, too. It depends so, on who you're with. It depends on who you're with. Well, he's with himself. So he, 
<laughs> Afterwards, <laughs> he goes with himself to the bus station oh. to get a bus back home. All right. But there are no more buses. Okay. It is really cold in here. Can the can the listener tell I'm shivering? It's my birthday today, by the way. Well, the weather right now, it's going to get down to like 10 degrees oh, God. in the next couple hours. Why? All right, so there's no bus. So what's he going to do? This, so is like a, this is like the, the castle by Kafka or something. It's just like endlessly, like just, just one scenario opens up after another. It goes nowhere. It's like... <laughs> so, <laughs> and I think we're at the final scene here. He stays up all night uh-huh. at this cafe, just probably oh. drinking coffee. No, I don't know if he's drinking sandwich. coffee. Well, he I guess doesn't he have a an iPhone, yeah. so he's like, what, reading the paper? I hope he brought a good book. He doesn't have headphones. They don't have those then. Right. So he's just sitting at a coffee shop, just... Uh, Smoking cigs. Oh, that's what... He'll, yeah, that's how he can pass the time. Yeah. But that's a long time. Maybe you and met. Maybe back sleeps. then you like met people more easily because people weren't all on their phone I mean, and stuff. I don't know. That's not part of the story. Okay. I'm thinking he kept to himself. Maybe. Yeah. But maybe he just internalized and sat there and thought about David Bowie and I like just he just dreamed. He just daydreamed. Yeah. About his destiny. I mean, really, maybe that was part of the real point of the initiation where you just start hallucinating, you know, and you're sleep deprived and you're uncomfortable. And when you start to really you're untethered in the world. Yeah. 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 Lonely. Yeah. But in but at the same time, groundless seeking this ecstasy and communion with your uh, the linchpin of your life, which is David Bowie. Yeah. It is young. Yeah, it is. This is some kind of uh, pilgrimage. It's a pilgrimage. Yep, it is. It's the universal pilgrimage story. It is, and he, and then he went home. <laughs> then he went home to his little, uh, to his parents' house. And I think he was forever changed, though. This is a story he tells over and over again, and that we'll reference again. We have, okay. We've got to sample some audio of him telling this story because... <laughs> oh, it's pretty it's pretty cool. Yeah. But when I first read it, I was kind of like, this is it? Right. This is a big deal to you? I feel like every single concert that I went to, which were, you know, as many as I could, first of all, I probably didn't have a ticket to them. Yeah. Second of all... You like, were stranded. I, I stranded. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just like sleeping on a towel. Yeah, yeah. On a, in, a, in a car. Yeah, when Vanessa. you put it like that, me too, man. Oh, I, yeah, every concert I so, went to. I mean, it's the same, yeah. Oh my God, do you have any come to mind you care to share? Tell? I remember taking... I mean, like going out of Miami and seeing, I don't know, like Paige Plant with my friend Chris and like trying to hitchhike our way back and him putting like a brick in his jacket pocket because if something goes wrong, I'm going to fucking clock this guy over there. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's the kind of shit, you know? Like every concert I went to, Give I was stranded. More. more. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I was down at Bayfront Park in Miami, going to see like I can't I can't even remember which one. Maybe Megadeth or something, or maybe it was the Nirvana show. Got my Ministry shirt on. Some guy on a double decker bus, like yeah, like Ministry. Fuck yeah, man, that's so awesome. Ministry shirts were like. Like that's that's a, you if you find people. if you find your people, man, people are gonna be like, "Fuck yeah, the ministry shirt," you know. It's like a Bruce, <laughs> it's like a Bruce Lee shirt. You got a Bruce Lee shirt, everyone's gonna be nice to you, according yeah. to the Bruce Lee podcast, which I started listening to. Yeah, run by his daughter. But um, yeah, so I don't know, but that you just make random friends. You just make uh, fast friends because you're out there, you're untethered, you don't have a car, you don't have a driver's license. In my case, the concert was like 40 miles away or 25 miles away, you know, and yeah. like in like the, the big city was Miami. No phone, Miami was no the big cell city. Phones. I mean, no map quest, nothing. You got a piece yeah. of paper and you got a, some quarters. Yeah. And hopefully, you know. And like bef- and prior to that, to get the tickets, we'd be like camping out all yeah. night at the mall waiting for them to open. Oh, well, I never, I've never camped out for a show, weirdly. To get tickets? No. Oh, yeah, we used to do that. I've always wanted All to, but I don't like to wake up early, though. So Pink Floyd Division Bell Tour, Joe Rabbi Stadium. Wow. I remember camping out, my friend who was kind of weird, he was, people were camping out in this parking lot across the street from the mall. We're like 15, you know, and he's like, y'all out here for the Floyd. <laughs> it's like, yeah, man. <laughs> yep. You know it, goddamn right we are. <laughs> Fuck yeah. 
David Gilmore. I'm more of a Waters person. With this person. Learning to I'm fly. More of, I'm, I'm more of a fan of Roger Waters myself. I mean, uh... Roger Waters is the heart and soul of the fucking band. And David <laughs> Gilmore is a taste factory on the electric guitar. He blending acts like the blues he's scale so with nice. He acts the Dorian like he's a mode. nice guy, but man, he's one of those covert, covert uh, oh, Gilmore. botherers. <laughs> like, you can tell he's just whiny. Or just like, he's like the, the golden boy. But Gilmore. That, that can stab you in the back while looking mellow. And then, everyone's like, and, like, and then everyone's like, and then everyone's like, he's the nice people. guy, yeah, totally. And then the person who's deeply feeling gets like, but I mean, let but me. Roger say, Waters is a fucking control freak, megalomaniac. God, I wouldn't love, want, love I would him. much rather hang out with Gilmore. And I love Gilmore. I'm not yeah. saying, but I just see. <laughs> right. Oh man, we could. I Roger could just Waters go is gonna on. bust out a poem and like you sit there quietly like he did the Mark Maron. Oh God, and just. Like, uh, excuse me, I'm actually reading a poem, so uh, respect. <laughs> Okay. Um, All right, but yeah, Ian, but well, that's him. quite the initiation. Uh, All right, let's reel it back in. Let's reel it in from uh, Thin White Duke, Cocaine oh, yeah. Frenzy Times. Uh, for David Bowie, that is. Yeah. I mean, it's pure speculation. What's that? His, uh, his speed addiction and the... Bowie? Yeah, during the Thin White Duke. Really... <laughs> it's not. Oh, okay. <laughs> the... That's like when uh, when it's, Joni it's, Mitchell's... I'm not like revealing or, you know, tarnishing his uh, yeah. image. There's plenty of YouTube videos, and I've been down that road, let me tell you. Yeah. It's oh. like that Joni Mitchell song, Coyote, at the end. It's like in the 70s uh, off of Hajira, and she starts going... She's talking about the white lines in the highway, but she's like... Sounds like she's having an orgasm talking about those fine white lines. Uh, those fine white lines. And it's like her and Jaco Pistorius like doing rails. And There's no disputing. She's talking about the lines on the highway and traveling. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the thin white duke. The thin white duke. Is a... Uh, Freaking out in the back of a car, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> really sketched out. Really skinny. Hey, let's go a little faster. Let's uh, see if somebody's following us. I mean, I don't know. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's re- let's get... Let's rein it back in here. <laughs> okay, so... So now we all wonder, Celine, where is Les? A good way to kind of... Let's ground down. And a good way to do that is by getting back in touch with... Will and Les, two guys doing some stuff. Now, where we left them, as as we've said, is Will is a fry cook, but he's kind of seems like he's loving life. He likes going to some sand dunes somewhere and driving a motorbike of some sort around. What? Yeah, it's his hobby. It's a hobby. Les? This is Will. Did Will, I say sorry, Will? Sorry. Yes, this oh, is Will. Will. This the is Willy back. What, this is what his... <laughs> Willy back likes to go four-wheeling. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, you didn't know. <laughs> right. Uh, and then Les, let's focus in on Les. He's at the boatyard. He's got the job of his dreams, okay? At the boatyard. At the boatyard. He's happy. But he's driving into work every day, and he's listening to Noel Edmonds and just hating it. He hates this music that he's listening to. Who's Noel Edmonds? That's a good question. Let's find out. Do you have your phone? Oh. No, Noel and Ellick, his name hey, is... Hey, Siri. Who's Noel Edmonds? Noel Ernest Edmonds is an English television presenter and executive producer. Edmonds first became known as a disc jockey on BBC Radio 1 in the UK. Watching. And has presented light entertainment television programs for more than 40 years. Okay. okay. Should I keep going? No. That's no, thanks. Great. Thank you, Siri. Have a great day. Thank you, Shane. I hope you have a nice day as well. <laughs> I just want to report that I'm scared shitless now. Uh, I got a new phone. And uh, that's the first time she, she has ever uh, she, 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 said, uh, said uh, my name and also told me to have a nice day. Because, see, I've been trying to talk nice to the phone because my daughter's around and stuff, and I think there's this, like, culture of barking orders at these, like, these female sort of helpers, right? Siri and what's the other one? Uh, Alexa. Alexa, you know, it's like, you know, whatever. 
order order me toilet paper you know you just don't you, like you just tell what to do yeah you know? yeah what's that stephen king book you know so i was trying to say please and thank you but yeah. anyway so she just kind of got a little more relaxed and personal with me yeah live on this here podcast <laughs> and it's the magic it was of kind of chilling so now we know who no Edmonds is yeah it's not i thought it was going to be a musician and i was going to have a fresh listen on this podcast this but this is a producer re- producer who's putting crap on the radio that he doesn't yeah, like that he doesn't like but that's kind of what i thought when anyway. you said it i thought well, that when you brought okay. it up that was what i thought because i was like i don't know who that is so i'm assuming this is like a radio program or something yeah and we could probably hear it see it <laughs> <laughs> on the internet. I feel so much friendlier with Siri now after that exchange, though. <laughs> All right, listen. Yeah. So, so apparently, though, Noel Edmonds would talk shit about this band Eater. And he would, like, make fun of this band Eater. Like, I'm a big eater? Yep, I'm okay. a big eater. So let's look up Eater. Eater were a uh, just like a British punk band. They formed in the late 70s. They put out a single, as far as we know, and uh, and then they had a weird like lapse in their career, and it wasn't until 2001 <laughs> that they released their second single called Thinking of the USA, uh-huh. and uh, so I don't know, what was his beef with Eater? Beef Eater? What was <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know, but one day, Les decides to find out, uh-huh. and he goes and finds an Eater record, oh. and thinks to himself... Wait, wait, wait. Oh, Noel Edmonds has beef with beef with Eater. Yes. And he talks shit about them on the air. Yes. And Les is like, why does this band suck? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And he puts this music on. And it kicks ass. And it kicks ass. And uh, he loves it. This is the stuff. Okay, so. Yeah. <laughs> he, he realizes that there is a new kind of music entering the stratosphere. Mm-hmm. And hitting his consciousness. And this happens all over the town and the world eventually. Right. Much of the world. Yeah. Meanwhile, Will hears the Sex Pistols for the first time. And it's the opening music for that band Deaf School, which we've talked about. What? And listen to. So he's like going to a deaf school show. Gotcha. He hears. Sex Pistols sex opens was, for them? No. It was just the music. Oh, it was the house music. House music. Gotcha. Thank you. House music at this place called the Empire. All right. And he hears it and he's like, huh, whatever. What's that? <laughs> he didn't, yeah. It was, it was, anyway, it was like, I'm in still in the gallery. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go listen to my Jethro Tull record. Did you ever listen to like a band you hate? Just like, like buy an album you hated? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Did you buy an album you're like, I hate this, and you bought it, and while you're buying it, you're like, I hate this, and then you got it home, you're like, God, this is terrible, and this is my life now. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. 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 One of the last things, times I got duped, and this is into my adult life, mm-hmm. uh, was uh, the Arcade Fire, like when mm-hmm. they came out, like their first album. Yeah, I was like, uh, I heard. I was like, they had so much press hype. Was, they just got the whole army of the publicity industrial complex to, you know, like organize itself around this one entity. And uh, I was like, whoa! This, and I'm, you read stuff about thing like a band, and you're like, this must this is the most transcendent thing ever. This is a new religion. I got them fucking signed me up. You know, I didn't even really heard them. I just read some shit. And I was like, wow, okay, it's that good. Yeah. And then I got the record, and I was like. Okay, you know, there's a few good songs that are remind me of something else that I thought was really moving, you know, and, and then, and the rest, I mean, it's fine, it's good, it's good, don't get me wrong, it's okay, you yeah. know, but I like, I just felt like a real dummy after I bought that. Yeah, like you had wasted your money. Yeah, but and he, then I got suckered though, that I got, I got sold a product. Yeah. You know, David Byrne actually talks about that in his book, How Music Works, yeah. about like, because you always feel like you're finding music or discovering music, yeah. you know, oh, I discovered this thing. And you, and, and so many times you, he, go, he goes on and on, but so you don't really realize that you've been marketed to because the, the that's what the, Tara, yeah. my good friend Tara, who's going to be on the podcast, we were talking about how we would find these like obscure, we thought they were obscure, but they were 
uh, you know, The Cure's first album. But it had been like reissued, and then the hip right. record stores had. We but we would find it in Atlanta. They didn't have it. There's in so many subtle angles to, to get to get that product into the, your hand, and there's so many niche markets, and there's so you know the mechanisms are are very. Uh, they can be very. They can feel very personal and yes, and like um, just like yeah. Well, that's the thing is so Les and Will were kind of like, especially Les were really. Um, just immersed in administered culture. That's Noel Edmonds. So he finds this new music, and it's different. And not only is it different, and and immediately he likes it. It's a music that anyone can play, mm-hmm. and now anyone can be a musician. And let me read this quote from "Never Stop" by Tony Fletcher. And this is, and he's quoting less. <laughs> so, you saw people on top of the pops and wondered how they ever started in bands. Either they had dads who used to be in big bands or were the sort of kids who knew how to play the guitar. I used to hate that type. Wait, so, so they're saying like they, they either had like family in the business or they like really knew how to play? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see, I see a lot of that in uh, in the music world, a lot of like, artists that seem to be successful are also are kind of already of independent means in a way. Right. Do you know what right. I mean? So I they're not, so they have a lot of time to produce their work and put it out there. And, their parents could afford like, to buy them lessons. And well, that kind of stuff, but also just like people living in New York and stuff. There's a lot of like, you know, like it's so expensive to live there. And then there's, and then, and then of course people, you know, like already in the business kind of vibe. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, nepotism, who you know, et cetera. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's and, the same uh, kind of... And then if you're not a part of that, then, well, you're kind of screwed because you need to, you know, get out there and start playing or whatever. But there's also this whole, like, payola system of, like... In the States. Okay, especially. now... Well, yeah, just anywhere where you're hiring publicists yeah. to, you know, get someone on the phone or get an email returned or, you know, getting any kind of attention whatsoever. And so that becomes... And that's not cheap. Nope. And that's all. Yeah, it's it's a oh, it's a it's a dirty, fucking yeah. disgusting business. I gotta tell you, the music. And business. it's interesting to see how it's changed from when they signed their first deal with Warner Brothers to now. But you know, we'll get there eventually if we just. I keep think it was on still, but it was through. still like a like. There's this awesome. Um, I gotta find it. Can I find a quote about the music business? Yes. By. Uh, and then I think we should kind of wrap it up. Okay. The, And just to quote Hunter S. Thompson, he wrote, The music business is a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. There's also a negative side. (laughs) That's good. So, you know, finding a place in, in that terribleness, in that hallway of despair, is not likely, but punk seemed like this shortcut, this like exit route you could just that you could take and you could be a musician. I mean, right. imagine. Yeah. And that's so freeing. It's, I mean. It's interesting. Yeah. And now the three it, of them, Will, yeah. Les, and Ian. There's another way. There's another way. Yeah. I just want to give a shout out to Jeff Whitworth, who yeah. is a uh, concert promoter in Asheville where I live and uh and you know how you have like your tagline at the end of your email when you sign like you know yeah. like your email t- so for like a decade at least because he used to run a, a music venue in town now he books all these different concerts a lot of Americana stuff what have you anyhow that's his tagline is that Hunter S. Thompson my quote God. and always that's has so been dark. and that's how I could like pull it like to, to the front of my mind because I've worked with him a lot but he's great you know but he's like it's funny that that's like front and center. So where are these guys going to go and hear this music? This incredible, life-altering, oh, I know. new music. <laughs> I can tell you because we've done a whole podcast about it. It's a place called Eric's Club. That's right, everyone. Now... This is going somewhere. There is a trajectory. There There's is an order to our Trust conversation. Me. We're Trust not just... Me. Pulling this shit out, out of the air, you If know? you're keeping notes, you're seeing some connections. Yeah. It's like Dougie and yeah. uh, Twin Peaks of the Return. We are. You gotta it's going to all make sense. Follow along. One sense. thing's leading to another. Sometimes yeah. the payoff, it's going to be four episodes later, you know? Oh, there's so many payoffs. So These are all ticking time bombs. Yeah, we don't, we're not going to tell you something for nothing. It's going to have a, a, a reason later, okay? Or not. <laughs> Sometimes it's it a cereal. It's a cereal, mm-hmm. right? Um, yep. Yeah. 
And it's a sci-fi. I've decided it's kind of a sci-fi. It's not a... Uh, I put all the different goth bands in, like, if you were to do a podcast, what category they would go in. Oh. Yeah. When did you do that? In my mind last oh, okay. night as I was going to bed. <laughs> um, in my brain. So... Um, so where are they going to go? Let's go rejoin our buddy Roger Eagle, Roger. who, as we said, managed to secure a lease in the face of opposition from the Liverpool criminal underground. Mm-hmm. From this maybe is some D and D shit, man. Yeah, yeah. And and Pirates. we revealed you can go back and listen to episode seven Y or six or. Whatever, the Eric's episode. Listen to all of them. Why we think he was able to secure that lease. But, uh, yeah. Okay, well, I think my dog, I hear the sound of a <laughs> collar rattling, which means she has to go to the bathroom right this second. You'll right. excuse me. Thank you. All right, you have been listening to... Is there an echo in here? Echo in here. You can write us an email at echoinherepodcast at gmail.com. Echo in here podcast at gmail.com. Echo in here podcast at gmail.com. Tune in next time. <laughs>